So when we think about the impact of language overall, like when I talk to new people about Textio, I often ask you to think about maybe the last time you sent an email or a text that made you nervous, made you nervous to send. You know, you know, it's probably going to go sideways. Probably happens to all of us. Like, when did that last happen to you, Todd? Like yesterday? Yeah. All the time. It happens. Let me, let me speak for Todd here. It happens (laughs) every hour. (laughs) Every hour. Hi, and welcome to GeekWire. I'm GeekWire co-founder Todd Bishop. And I'm GeekWire co-founder John Cook. We're coming to you from Seattle, where we get to report each day on what's happening around us in tech, science, and innovation. What happens here matters everywhere. And every week on this show, we get to talk about some of the most interesting stories happening in the news and with some of the most interesting people making those stories happen. We're pleased to be joined this week by Kieran Snyder, the CEO of augmented writing platform Textio. Kieran, it is great to have you here. Hi, it's great to be here. We're going to talk about Textio and artificial intelligence and machine learning and the entire impact of this kind of technology on society for good, which ultimately is what Textio is about. And we can talk about the specific application. But I want to talk first about Scrabble and Rittenhouse Square in Philadelphia, because I lived for two years in the 1996-97 era just about two blocks south of Rittenhouse Square, just where it started to get a little bit rough. That's what I could afford. You know, I couldn't get on Rittenhouse Square. That's where I lived, Todd. You're kidding me. We're across from the pizza place? I was at 19th and Rodman. <laughs> where were you? Oh, God. I, you know, I meant to look at a map. It's been so long. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll, t- I'll tell you by the end of the show which one. It was two blocks south, though. We were probably neighbors. I, I lived from like 1998 to 2001. I lived at 19th and Rodman, like four blocks, five blocks south of Rittenhouse Square. Wow. This, though, is part of your origin story, as it were, if you were a superhero. <laughs> Tell us what you did in Rittenhouse Square, how it plays into your love of language, and how it led you to to where you are today. Okay, so I, surprisingly, for a lifelong language and math nerd, didn't play Scrabble growing up. We played tons of board games, didn't play growing up. And then when I got to college, I actually dated a guy who came from like an obsessive Scrabble competitor family. And he was like, I've always said the first woman that can beat me in Scrabble is the one I'm going to marry. And I was like, all right, let's do this. It's on. Turns out I schooled schooled him in Scrabble. Didn't marry him, by the way. Smart. But schooled him in Scrabble. (laughs) And I got really into it. And I started playing competitive Scrabble. And uh, you may remember if you lived in the neighborhood, it's common in like lots of urban parks, people hustle chess, right? Like you get these chess experts and what people do is you, you bet against them. Like I'll, I'll bet you a hundred bucks that I can beat you in chess. And of course they're really good and it's really hard to beat them. And so I set up my Scrabble board, uh, you know, I was a grad student, so I was very poor. I had no money, but like tons of time. And so I went to the park and set up my Scrabble board at nearly every weekend for a couple of years and hustled Scrabble. And I Scrabble paid more than half of my bills when I was in grad school. So it, it worked out for me. Wow. So were you, you were betting on your Scrabble games in the square? I was huh? betting on my Scrabble games. That's right. I was a hustler before I was a hustler. Did you ever like really scam somebody like you had a ringer and you threw it through a match so then you could, you know, bet more money and come back and win big? 
Unfortunately, after the first few months, I got known as like the Scrabble girl because it was me and all the chess people. And so there was no real hustle after that. Like people knew they were coming to play against a good player. I did lose in those couple of years that I did it though. I did lose three matches in total against people who turned out to be really, really good tournament players. So fair enough. I love this. Todd, I don't know if you know, know this about me, but I played a ton of Scrabble growing up because my mom, who you knew was a journalist, loved Scrabble too. And we would play all the time. And I remember when I was probably 10 or 12 years old playing, my mom, she was very stringent on what could be played or could not be played. But I created the word cat catcher. Mm. And she allowed me to play this. Yeah, that's a multiple. That's a mother's love for you. Yeah, so that was was wonderful. (laughs) But I'm curious, Kieran, with all the new word games today, Wordle on New York Times, Spelling Bee, I love. What's your favorite? I love love spelling me too. Um, in fact, I have it up in a separate tab right now. I like play it through the day. But my favorite right now is this super nerdy game called Samantle, obviously named derivative from Wordle. And Samantle, you're gonna get like really nerdy and like tie into Textio here. Someone at Textio told me about this a couple of weeks ago. It is just a really light front end on top of this library called word to vec which is a common NLP machine learning library that people use to get synonyms, more or less, words that are very similar. And so every day there is a word and you have to guess what it is. And all you get every guess is a score that shows you how similar or different it is from the secret word. And it can take you hundreds of guesses to get it. And it's so addictive because you're basically trying to game WordDevec, which we use at Textio as a library. So there you go. So Mantle, it's my favorite. And the new puzzle publishes at 5 p.m. Pacific every day. So like once you're done with the Wordle and the spelling bee, you just roll right into Samantle. 24 hours word games. All right. How do you spell that? And is it an app or just a browser-based? It's just a browser-based. If you Google for Samantle, S-E-M-A-N-T-L-E, you will find it. There's your tip of the week from GeekWire. That's right. <laughs> well, from Textio, from Kieran Snyder. Yeah. So, from Odeon Ke- Montoya. Who was <laughs> there you go. There you go. Kieran from Philadelphia and Rittenhouse Square, you ended up, I know, through many different places going to Microsoft and then starting Textio. Can you draw us a line, though, from your love of language and words to your current role? Definitely. And, you know, even going back pre-grad school when I was young, my mother was a writer and my dad is still an engineer. He is in his 80s running his small electrical engineering firm. I think he will do it until he can no longer do it, making radar systems for spacecraft. So very different. But I grew up to be an engineer and a writer. Uh, When I was in college, I studied linguistics and math and then got a PhD in NLP. So like that through line of the balance between language and engineering has always been my life. And then when I ended up coming to Seattle, actually, I finished my PhD. You may not know this about me. I didn't know what I wanted to do when I finished my PhD, other than I knew I didn't want to be an academic, which was like a seismic shift because... That is all I had ever wanted to do until six months before I finished my PhD. And so I spent a year writing, running out of money, 
And I had a friend at Microsoft at the time who was like, hey, we're hiring people like you in a bunch of our NLP areas. Like, do you want to come work here? And I was like, no, I hate all those people. Like, I am not interested in technology. Uh, I've been coding since I was young. Obviously, my, my PhD had a heavy computer science component. Like, I don't want to do that. And he was like, okay, but you said you needed a job. And I was like, that is true. Uh, I do need a job. And so I took the job thinking I would be there for like a year. And uh, it turns out, like long story short, I loved making software and technology. I am infinitely grateful that this worked out the way it worked out. But what I learned there was that my passion is not just for the research side of it, but for making real applications that people use. You know, in my my first interview there, this really experienced product leader asked me how you know when a product is ready to ship. And I gave this very academic answer, which was like, well, it's never ready. You just keep going until, you know, you have something you can get feedback on and then you go some more. And he was like, no, it's ready to ship when people will pay you for it. And it mm. was like this whole education uh, on the business side of software in, in a minute. And it took me like a year on the job to really learn that. But anyway, through that journey, um, I really learned how to be practical about using some of these language capabilities that I'd had such a strong research orientation in to make real applications that, that people used. And Textio, you know, if you fast forward a decade after that, when Jensen Harris and I founded it together, it is really about taking piles of language data and making it usable and accessible for a billion people to use, right? So you don't need to be a language scientist or a data scientist or a linguist to be able to take advantage of the software. It's fundamentally an application first, not a, not a research project. So a, a little bit of the journey. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to GeekWire, and we will be right back. Technology moves fast. I need to move faster. WGU's competency-based education puts me in control of how fast I move through my IT degree program. I can accelerate my program by applying what I already know to my courses and focusing on the things I need to learn. Earn a respected accredited degree that propels your career in the IT field. Learn more at wgu.edu backslash IT certs included. Welcome back. It's Todd Bishop with John Cook. Our guest this week is Kieran Snyder, the CEO of Textio, the augmented writing platform. Kieran, my understanding of Textio at a basic level, and perhaps this is a few years old, is that you're taking the language of job postings. And I know it's expanded since then, which you can explain, but you're comparing the outcomes of specific job postings to what a desired outcome might be. And then you're seeing what role the language that was used played in determining that outcome. Am I, am I in the right ballpark? You're in the right ballpark, but I would say in a really narrow slice. So when we think about the impact of language overall, like when I talk to new people about Textio, I often ask you to think about maybe the last time you sent an email or a text that made you nervous, right? Made you nervous to send, you know, you know, so it's probably going to go sideways, um, which, you know, probably happens to all of us. Like if you think about when did that last happen to you, Todd? 
like yesterday, like, you know, yeah. all the time. Yeah. It happens. Yes. Let me, let me speak for Todd here. It happens <laughs> every hour. <laughs> every hour. I've never, met, I've never met somebody as meticulous and it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing about Todd. He is so meticulous about his writing and every single word matters so much to him. Um, I'm a little more, you know, fly by the seat of my pants. Who cares? Throw it out there. Uh, that's why it's going to be fun to throw this transcript into the, into the Texio engine and see, uh, see what comes out. But seriously, Todd, the way you obsess about language, I've, I've never met anybody in my entire journalism career like Todd on this. Well, that's why so we always like, have good conversations. <laughs> yeah, he's like he's like his own AI, you know, Textio engine over there in his brain. You got to take some nice. of his DNA and slice it into the Textio engine. That's like next level technology. Yeah. John is so good at the the faint praise. Like he gives you the <laughs> thing that's really critical and he goes, oh, and it's so great. I know, that was really What, what are they called? The, the backhand compliment, right? Work together for we'll 22 see, years. We'll yes. see what Textio picks up in that monologue. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the, point, the point I was going for is that <laughs> when we started the company, it was with this idea that you should be able to do better than guessing, right? In all of those situations, when you are meticulously crafting every single word, you're, you're guessing. And of course, the more different the other party is from you, your audience, the more likely things are to get screwed up. And so we started the company with this idea that if you could have some insight about how similar communication had fared in the past, right, then you could do better. And yeah, you're right. Some of this is based on outcomes, right? Who has applied to the job in the past or responded to the email in the past or, or what have you. But over the lifetime of Textio, we've layered in two other really important pieces into the language guidance. Um, the first sounds really simple, but it isn't. It's kind of what we call the purely editorial layer, which is to say, even if the data never shows that using racist language, sexist language, ageist language changes your click-through rate, Textio is going to flag it for you anyway. You know, if you think about over the last couple of years, how many people have discovered that language they have used for a long time actually has historically racist roots? How many companies used blacklist and whitelist that now would use blocklist and allow list as an example, right? A lot of the patterns of social use around language, they evolve. And so even if there are no quote unquote outcomes, showing that use of this pattern versus that pattern is going to you know, change your click-through rate, change your engagement rate, Textio is still going to flag it for you. So that's an, one of the two additional pieces. Go ahead, John. Looks like no, I just have a ton of questions around this because it ties into these major culture wars that we're facing in, in society today. And I'm yeah. curious how Textio's tools adapt based on either language in another country and how it's accepted, or I, I even imagine a, a company in Tampa uh, and how they use language and communicate might be different than one in Tacoma. And like, do you adapt on regional yes. basis or just by the corporate style book that is okay? 
Okay, so yes, you're getting to the other place that Textio has really built out new capabilities. So regional differences, absolutely. That's that's baked in because yeah, the patterns that work in Tampa and Seattle are different languages, local. Um, fun fact in San Francisco, uh, people use the word awesome about four times more often than in the rest of the country in corporate communication. Do you know what we use here in Seattle? Statistically? Oh, super pumped. I, super, no, pumped. I, super, super. It's got to be super, super, right? No. Super pumped. I, oh. I can check that. Oh, I don't gosh. know. The, the, the word that is used in <laughs> Seattle by companies more often than anywhere else in the country to describe their cultures is honest, actually. Really? Yeah. It's oh, statistically improbable in Seattle. Does that mean they're compensating? Mate, well, you know, there's a lot of sociology you could put behind the, the why. <laughs> um, Texture can tell you the what, it can't tell you the why. But the other piece, John, and what you were getting at, that's a really important part of for companies when they're trying to standardize their sort of culture and brand voice across thousands of employees is what you called like that corporate style guide. It turns out the patterns that Expedia thinks best represent them are different than the patterns that Microsoft thinks best represent them. And it turns out to really matter because all of this language that you're pushing out into the world, whether that's in your job descriptions, your LinkedIn posts, your website, you know, your corporate communications, all of it is essentially, especially in this market where it's very labor empowered right now. You know, people have infinite choices for where to work. All of it ends up being a signal to people that says this is the kind of place where you can see yourself or this isn't. And so if you have values that are really, really aligned with the organization, you're far more likely to consider working there. So yeah, Textio encodes some of the sort of corporate specific brand culture. And so when the, you get guidance in the product, it comes from all of these places. So if you're a racist organization or a misogynistic organization, and those are part of your core values, would the Textio <laughs> tool not flag that language? Come on. <laughs> Textio will tell you where the flags are, but it won't tell you what to do with them. So Textio will tell you this is the likely impact your language is having. You get to decide, do you care? So to choose like a less pernicious example, companies ask us all the time, we're trying to hire more women into our engineering roles or our leadership roles. I know you recommend gender neutral tone, but how about actually we like really amp up the tone so that we're more likely to draw more women? Is that cool or is that not cool? And you know, our answer to those companies is like, you get to decide. Like there's gonna be consequence for you if you choose to introduce bias, you're gonna fill the role more slowly, you're gonna get a less diverse applicant pool overall. Um, we can't tell you what you should do. We can just tell you what the impact of the language is likely to be on people who are reading it. Okay, but based on whose standards? I mean, I guess that was my question. I know it was a far out example in terms of a racist well, organization, or but you know, are those your standards or? But it's up to them, is what Kieran's saying. Well, not necessarily. That's not what I'm hearing. Well, I guess I'm saying there's three layers, right? Textio shows you what happens with the data. 
It shows you we have certain standards as an organization. So we are going to flag sexist, racist, ableist, ageist language. And then you also get to tune Textio with some of your own brand values. And when you get the guidance in the end, you're going to see all of it. And you as the writer make choices. You know, there's a reason it's not automated writing. It's augmented writing because the writer's in charge of what they're writing. And we really believe that's an important um, precept. Like, and it, and it turns out people don't want to lose agency over what they're writing, you know, and, and we think that's important. Yeah, I get it. So there are three, as you said, there are three layers there. It's not one exactly. independent textio layer. It's, it's those other layers that are coming into play. And, and exactly. I know you're, you're, you're a business product and this makes sense in the business landscape, especially as it is around corporate communications and being on brand and certainly in the hiring area where you started out. I, I don't think you've really toyed that much with going into the consumer product arena, but I'm curious if as I mentioned, this kind of whole wave of cancel culture and wokeness and, you know, the anti, you know, there's a big debate over language and what it means right now and a lot of pushback yeah. against it. I'm wondering based just on the style of business that you have built here over the years, whether you take some of that heat and whether you experience that or are you immune from it because you're just operating in the corporate business world? I don't think anyone's immune from it. And I will say as a woman running a company, you're like extra not immune from it. Um, right? Like there, there is a level of misogyny that shows up like extra helping uh, towards a woman running a company in the inclusive language space. So I'll just say that's like a blanket, unfortunate, like foundation of the work. That said, most companies right now in the world, most companies, which is not the same as saying that all individuals in the world, most companies in the world care about the equitability of their environments and how they're showing up. I like to believe most companies care because most individuals care who work for them, at least at some level. I know there's controversy, you know, John, you alluded to cancel culture and, um, sensitivity around language. I have yet to meet people at really any point in the political spectrum who don't care about communicating well. They're not seeking to offend other people. Most of the time, most people appreciate, especially, you know, we the reason we designed the software the way we designed it is the only person who sees the guidance you're receiving is you right? It's not a shamey kind of platform. It's really meant to be, you're the writer, you get to decide what to do with it. And then you move on. Like your boss isn't seeing the guidance that you get. Um, hmm. So most people, at least, you know, maybe they're the kinds of people who choose to be Textio partners, but most people have generally been grateful for the kind of guidance that the platform provides. Um, perhaps we could reach end users who wouldn't be, but it's, happen pretty rarely. So where does your technology and your product stand today and, and where are you headed? Yeah. So over the last couple of years, as we moved beyond just the basic hiring pieces, we really built a bunch of capabilities around uh, brand and employer brand. So um, you talked about consumer applications. It's true that we don't offer something direct to consumers, but when we built the integration into LinkedIn social media last year, 
this is really for every employee in an organization every time they're posting or commenting uh, on LinkedIn. So it is a much more consumerized application, even if not everybody is writing job descriptions, they're probably using social media. And uh, by the way, it it turns out to matter, like when employees consider working in new organizations, one of the first things they do is they look at their boss's social media (laughs) um, and decide if this is, or my teammates' social media, are these people I want to work with? Do I share values with them? Um, So that's big. We also introduced a bunch of language analytics that show people how their patterns are changing over time. So, you know, fun fact, um, during 2020, as, you know, the world was kind of turned upside down, most large tech organizations really, really amped up what we call this empathy language. Um, They started talking a lot more in their public language around empathy, flexibility, you know, and they kind of amped down some of the traditional hard driving, you know, fast paced, um, <laughs> aggressive language. In 2021, though, uh, just as like a lot of large companies were pulling people back to the office, the biggest companies totally dialed back all the empathy language, totally, totally dialed it back. And, and like the, the use of it plummeted again. So you really, we, we started introducing these sort of cultural analytics for people to see their trends over time because it's fascinating. Yeah, that is so interesting. In fact, I had a question about that because you were on the Wired podcast back in 2020, I think it was, and you were talking about Amazon specifically using the word maniacal more than any other <laughs> tech company. And like, <laughs> and there's like, it's such a, it's such an appropriate word for, for Amazon to use mm-hmm. to describe working there. I know you've worked, you worked there in the past. Um, mm-hmm. I'm curious. I mean, it kind of plays in that trend. It was a question I was going to ask, like, did they tone it down? And now is it, I guess it's back. So that's, that's it. I was, I was going to ask, like, have they toned that down? in their style and approach or, and have you seen other companies do the same? Yeah, we can actually send you some interesting data on this. Like it turns out, and it's really the largest companies. And there was like a clear correlation with companies that had announced intentions to pull everybody back to the office where all the language around empathy, belonging, flexibility plummeted again, right. As those announcements were happening. Um, Whereas some of the, you know, Super successful, but I would say more modern and agile tech companies. You know, you look at like your Zoom or your Airbnb. They didn't dial back um, in the in the same way. So you could really see kind of culture split even within successful technology companies. Um, again, language mirrors culture, and you know they feed each other kind of both directions. Yeah, Karen. Big picture question on this: as a woman CEO of a tech company. And somebody who watches these trends very specifically in hiring and the job market, have we seen improvement in DEI across the business and tech ecosystem in the last, let's say, three years? Like, can you see actual improvements based on the data you're looking at? Or even just anecdotally, what's your sense of that? I, here's the biggest vector of improvement that I see, which is companies have budgets now. So the work takes time. So can I look at companies, you know, sort of across the industry and be like, here are, um, 
specific demographic composition improvements, you know, that's harder to do in aggregate because the work takes time. But I'll say there is a major sea change uh, between three years ago and today. You know, we work with these uh, practitioners all the time at Textio and they're DEI practitioners. Uh, They have a very different level of empowerment and budget than they had three or four years ago, which makes me optimistic that when we look 12 months, 24 months out, we will see more substantial change across the industry. Definitely the um, pandemic having kind of pushed a whole bunch of companies into more flexible work arrangements is really beneficial for DEI in lots of ways. It means you can um, have more flexibility, easier for people with children, easier for people to not live in major urban centers and still have great tech jobs. You know, it opens up diversity to companies because they're hiring in many more markets. Like all of that's super positive. But as I were just at the beginning, the biggest change I see is money. Interesting. You know, I actually have a, had a question specifically about Textio related directly to that because sure. you used to have your headquarters in downtown Seattle and an office, you know, you know headquarters, yeah. office-based culture, and you went fully remote. And I was curious what that has done for your own ability to hire a more diverse workforce. Can we make that a teaser, John? Yeah, let's tease it. Let's talk about that right after this break. That's a great question. You're listening to GeekWire, and we will be right back. This GeekWire podcast is sponsored in part by Yale University Press. Are you concerned about the rise of AI and how it will impact our society? Every day, artificial intelligence presents us with urgent ethical challenges. How do we harness this extraordinary technology to empower rather than oppress? Nigel Shadbolt and Roger Hampson have written a how-to for building ethical machine intelligence. Their new book, As If Human, Ethics and Artificial Intelligence, is now available wherever books are sold. Welcome back. It's Todd Bishop with John Cook. John, you just asked a a great question of our guest this week, Kieran Snyder, the CEO of Textio. Why don't you recap that? Absolutely. Kieran, I was wondering, because you made the decision to go all remote at your company, you got rid of your Seattle downtown headquarters. And I was curious whether you've actually seen the ability to attract a more diverse workforce directly into Textio as a result of that move. Yeah. So before the pandemic, you're right. We were nearly all co-located in Seattle. We had a couple of team members in New York and a couple in California. And I think I think we might have been the first company in the country to go overnight remote. We were the first in Seattle. I know that uh, within 48 hours after Microsoft and Amazon followed suit. And given that Seattle was the first hit uh, with the pandemic in the country, I think we might have been the first. I'm not positive, but I think it might be. And we were really nervous about it because Jensen and I had both really believed in co-location as an important aspect of the culture that we were creating. And we saw a couple of things over that first year. First, we saw our productivity was actually better than it had ever been before. After you switched to full remote. Yes. Yeah. Got it. Productivity was better. Uh, We saw a bunch of employees looking to relocate um, for various reasons, wanted to get out of the city, wanted to be near family, 
revisiting what's important to me right now. You know, a lot of soul searching for people uh, over 2020. So a bunch of people relocated and Texio supported them. And so as a result, we opened several new states. Okay, jump ahead. Once we have those states open, we started hiring in those new states um, because we had employees living there. We had done the work to uh, do business in those states. We started hiring there. So today, about 50%, I just, just talked to our VP of people about this this week, about 50% of our employee base is in the Seattle area and about 50% is outside, mostly outside Washington. Uh, and we have nine states today uh, where people live and work. And yes, it absolutely has shifted the uh, representation at Textio. We are incidentally going to start publishing our, we're big enough now, we have some data we're going to start sharing later this year, our own representation data broadly. We hired in September of last year, the person I think is the best in the industry as our VP of talent and DEI. I have been trying to low-key recruit Jackie Clayton for five years and finally got her to agree. She's based in Waco, Texas. She's not moving from Waco, Texas, right? I truly think she's the best thought leader in the country in this work. And you can imagine at Textio specifically, having the best person for this work is very, very important because it's not just our own internal team. Like she is a real thought leader in our product definition as well. I would not have hired her if we hadn't been open to hiring people who live in Texas. We weren't going to open a headquarters in Waco. (laughs) That wasn't going to happen. And the stories are all, all over the place. Chicago has been a huge market for us. Um, and nearly all of our Chicago employees are people of color. Um, it's the, the demographics in the region are different than they are in Seattle. And so absolutely, we are seeing positive impact there. I think um, we're growing our leadership team. We actually just hired a CMO. We'll be sending that to you in tech moves soon. Um, and soon to have a new CFO start as well. Uh, and increasingly, the leaders are also not based in Seattle, which is kind of by design for me because I'm trying to build some equitability across how we lead. Yeah. So, Kieran, where are you employee count now? We are about 120 right now. Okay. And then my question on the different geographies as the CEO of the company, I, I'm curious how you dealt with that from the salary perspective of the discrepancies based. I mean, Waco, Texas is a lot cheaper market to live in than Seattle and how you dealt with those issues. I know that was a challenge for many CEOs as people started moving wherever they wanted. Yeah, we are paying uh, Seattle market rates everywhere. So we have chosen to keep salaries consistent regionally everywhere, which means we've had a lot of hiring advantages in some other regions that we are hiring and that we weren't hiring in before because Seattle is a pretty spendy market, right? It's a, you know, a pretty privileged market from a tech job perspective. We would be remiss if we did not point out that you are the reigning 2021 GeekWire Awards CEO of the year. Yes, and I voted for, I voted for this year's batch as well, yes. by the way, but I won't tell you who I voted for. Okay, fair enough. Secret ballot. They're all Understood. great candidates. They're all great <laughs> candidates. <laughs> May 12th, geekwire.com slash awards. But it gets to the point, and one of the things that Texio pointed out after you won that award last year was this was even more of an honor because it came during this difficult time for many companies. 
obviously Textio, as you're saying, went through its own transition in terms of its approach to remote work, not just temporarily, but permanently. How do you keep a company culture together when you're not physically together? Oh, this is really the question of the hour, right? This is the question of the hour. I think everybody's trying to solve this. Uh, There's a a bunch of stuff that we have done, some of which probably mirrors playbooks from other companies, at least one of which is probably really different. Um, We found in the first couple of months after going remote that Slack was a problem. Um, we found that it was a problem for us. And we've always been a Slack company. We were one of their early customers. We, you know, we were Slack from the beginning when we first founded Textio. But we found that people drowning in channels and asynchronous communication 24-7 was really, really hard. And one of the things that we built over the course of 2020 and 2021, which we use today, it may become a product for others soon. We have a few other companies using it. We built a a different tool. We still use Slack mostly for DMs, but we built a different tool for time-boxed conversations that is much more participatory. Uh, It's much more human in nature. It's really easy for people to participate in lightweight ways. Um, We think it's about how you do inclusive collaboration uh, inside companies. And I will say the use of it, which we really built for our own purposes, transformed the way that we collaborate, uh, like absolutely transformed it. (laughs) Okay. This is funny, Todd. I think you're going in the same direction that I am here. Slack was created by yes. a failed video game company that figured out how to do real-time communication. Could the next innovation and in collaboration be created by a successful augmented writing company that just happened to create something that worked for its workforce and marketed it to others? It, it could. I mean, the reason it, is that it's changed the way we communicate and we've given it to some friends to try. Uh, you know, other companies of our sort of size and stage. And we'll see. Um, It has been pretty magical for us. Um, I'll say we've done a few other things to your original question. I I know I give you like the catnip there, but like uh, done done a few other things. We really, really embrace shared time off as a company. Um, And this has been pretty important. So in the 24-7, everybody's working from their home uh, environment. It's very hard to unplug. Like when I disconnect from this podcast in a few minutes, I'm still just in my house, right? I could shut my laptop and I could go to the kitchen and get a snack and I could do the same thing on Saturday and I could easily pop open my laptop again and check in on my work, you know? So there's just no lines anymore between work and home. And so one way that we've mitigated that is we introduced more shared time off. Actually, Monday is a shared day off at Textio. So we have a long weekend this weekend where the whole company takes more days off together. Um, That's been pretty powerful. This year, we are starting to get people together in person again. So I will say that uh, we are going to have an all-company event this fall, um, which is going to be our traditional Explorathon, which is kind of like our hackathon, but the whole company participates. We're going to get together and do that, which will be really fun. And then we also do regional get-togethers. So we're doing this year an all-company volunteer day. We have a super volunteer-oriented culture. Uh, We've always had benefits around this. And so everyone in Chicago will get together 
and do some activities together. Everybody in the Bay Area will get together and do some volunteer activities together. So I think one of the things about the culture is that it's not um, team specific anymore. There's sort of a regional element where it's it's cross-functional and, and you really get together. The, the Waco-Austin contingent will get together, of which we now have a sizable one, um, <laughs> right, and, and volunteer. So there's a few bunch of stuff we've tried. Karen, your remarks about drowning in Slack really resonated because I've gotten that feedback at GeekWire as well. And so I guess I'm curious, when might the general public be able to see this new collaboration tool? And are you serious? Okay, because I (laughs) think we need something like that. What do you call it? Uh, Umeo, U-M-E-O. Interesting. Interesting. And then a follow-up question on that, just on the office itself. I was going to ask kind of what you miss about the office. And the challenge that I've heard from a lot of CEOs is when you have this mix uh, of remote and uh, a centralized office where about 50% of your staff is, how do you make it as an organization that just the power center just doesn't become the 50% of the people in Seattle and the folks that are in Austin or Chicago, eh, they're participating, but they're maybe missing the core action. Okay. I'm going to like controversy alert. I don't think you can. I don't think you can mitigate that at all. So I am like fully for co-located cultures or distributed cultures. The hybrid thing, I think sets up this dynamic where you have some set of people who are always in the room and some set of people who are always remote. I actually really deeply believe this is the next wave of equity work for companies. Yeah, I've heard this as well from from some CEOs. Like they're picking a lane. Like you, you've picked a lane at Textio. We're fully remote. So even the people in Seattle, they don't have a power advantage over somebody in Waco because I mean the person in Seattle might as well be in Bozeman yep. or Boise, yep. right? I mean, there's really no difference. It's their choice to be in Seattle. That's absolutely true. I think picking a lane is well said, and that sort of represents my philosophy on it. I can absolutely see why somebody would pick the co-location lane. I definitely see things that it gives you. Um, I can see why people would pick the remote lane. I'm living over the last couple of years, the things that that it's giving us. I think we've all been in those situations where you have some people in the room, some people remote, the video call ends and then it's like, Hey Todd, I just thought of another idea. Now we're going to go get lunch together and we're going to have the real meeting and we're going to, you know, half an hour later, we'll report back to everybody what we really decided. And then, you know, John is out there in Bozeman, like, Hey, wait, I thought we already had a plan. I think this is human. I don't think there is a good way to litigate around that or legislate around that. And so I think you have really, if you care about equitability, you need everyone on the same playing field, whichever the field is. And I think, again, there's advantages to both the co-location and the remote. Well, and just to push back on that a little bit, I, I agree with what you're saying, but to push back and come back to one of my original questions, when it comes to salary, though, you could make the argument it's not equitable because somebody in Seattle is getting paid a different amount than somebody in Waco. But I guess you would push back perhaps and say, well, the person in Seattle can live wherever they want. So... It doesn't they can matter. live this way. They can live wherever they want. And when we set our bands, you know, we we do look nationally, but we have a predisposition to Seattle, and we're fine that that anchors us high in the national market. 
we're fine that that anchors us high in the national market um, versus disadvantaging people in Seattle or the Bay Area um, where they then would not choose Textio. I would say we've kind of taken a look and decided this is what this role contributes to Textio every year in terms of our unit economics. And we're just, you know, we're really upfront about that. We publish our pay ranges everywhere. You know, we're, we have to do it in Colorado and New York City now, but we do it everywhere for all of our roles. I, I thought I saw something this week that it was coming in Washington State. It's coming, John. It's coming everywhere. Like listeners, get ahead of this and just do the right thing. Just publish your pay ranges before you're forced to do it because you're going to be forced to do it. Just do the right thing. Um, and so we're just upfront about that. And so people know when they come in, like, okay, this is the ballpark I'm playing in. And then we don't negotiate from there. We, we, just, we sort of show you where you're going to stand. Um, it is this, one of the most important things companies can do for their equity uh, and inclusion work is, is transparency here. Unfortunately, we're running out of time. And if I looked a little bit distracted during this, it's because I was looking on Google Street View to figure out where exactly I lived in Philadelphia. It's one of those things where I didn't know the street as well as I just knew the route to take from the SEPTA station, frankly. And where were you? 20th and Spruce. Oh, that's super close. You were near the little grocery store. Yes, exactly. Yeah. 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 You know, all yeah. of our listeners, all of our listeners in Philadelphia are just going to love this, aren't they? All Did you go to the bakery, yes. yeah, gonna... <laughs> you, know, you know that really good bakery that was right there? It's one of my favorites. On the way to Rittenhouse Square? Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Karen, before we wrap up, I think you're so interesting to talk to in part because you have this pulse on the hot button, interesting techie terms that are out there. And I know we've talked about this in the past. <laughs> You, you've you've analyzed whether big data's a hot term or or not. You you AI's gone through different fluctuations of being used a lot or not in job descriptions. So I want to ask you, what are the hot terms in tech hiring right now that you're seeing? Oh, I don't even think I have magic for you on this one. I think I could probably just drop Web3 at you and you'd be like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. That's what I was going to guess. Like you're starting yeah. to see Web3 web and crypto and metaverse in job descriptions, maybe more than you were. Yeah, they're showing up. Web3 and crypto are the two that show up like across company sizes and stages especially, right? I mean, I think we're starting to see an embracing of Web3 across the industry. I'm really curious what it's what it's going to be. <laughs> I'm really like, my sideline hobby right now is nerding out on Web3. It's totally sidelines. It's not related to Textio, but. Yeah. And I've heard this from other CEOs and founders of companies that their engineers are kind of driving it. Engineers are really interested in this topic. And so as a result, companies are putting it into job descriptions, even though they may not be doing things directly related to it <laughs> because the engineers want to work on that stuff. It's like they're uh, kind of slightly like yeah. SEO kind of. Exactly. You know, when, when we first, um, I'll tell you this, we first uh, were starting Textio, one of the early prototypes we built was a real estate predictor. How do you write your home descriptions so that they drive your sale price. By the way, uh, finally got to use this when we sold a home in December. You should sell this product to Redfin or Zillow. 
Oh, and we talked to them early. But the thing that bombs in this product is the things that really drive your home price are phrases like in-ground pool, granite countertops. <laughs> and so like, if you don't have those things, you can put them in your real estate description. But it's, you know, so if you don't have Web3 technology, but you're dropping it in your job description, the engineers may show up and be disappointed and not stay with you. So truth in advertising does matter. Right. And the same applies to job listings and every other kind of corporate communication, right? If you're just saying the words and not actually living them or putting them into your culture, ultimately, it's not going to work. That's 100% true. We often say you can like paint the door of your house a nice color. But if underneath it, the foundation is rotting, you walk through the front door and it's a disaster. And when when we talk to our customers, we're actually really, really careful to tell them like, this isn't a magic bullet. Like you're not going to just change the word manage to lead and tomorrow have twice the number of women in your company. You actually have to do all the rest of the work too, if you're really following through on it. We can help you with this piece of it, but there's a whole boatload of work behind it that you have to take seriously. And that is the thing, as I said, I was starting to see these leaders empowered with budget that gives me some optimism that they're going to be able to make more substantial investments across the employee life cycle. Kieran Snyder, the CEO of Textio. Thanks for being with us. That was super fun. Yeah, thank you all. Thanks for listening to GeekWire. Our podcast is edited and produced by Kurt Milton. Our theme music is by Daniel L.K. Caldwell. To see all of GeekWire's coverage of science, tech, business, and more, go to geekwire.com. And don't forget to subscribe to our daily email newsletter to catch all of our headlines. Until next time, I'm Todd Bishop. And I'm John Cook. We'll be back next week with a new episode of the GeekWire podcast.